we are craving normality, something normal. My concern with that, as much as I understand it and I feel it, is that we go to the other extreme where we are romanticizing in-person instruction as if it were like the best thing in the world where everybody participated and it was beautiful. We are forgetting some of the drawbacks of in-person instruction that we cannot just jump and say, oh, let's reject online options. Let's go back to just face-to-face the chalkboard and paper. You're listening to Speaking of Language a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Florencia Henshaw brings her energy for and expertise in online learning to our show. We discuss what we've learned about learning through the pandemic and what wisdom we can take with us into post-pandemic language teaching. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. On today's show, we are joined by Florencia Henshaw, language educator, teacher trainer, program director, author, tech enthusiast, and social media trailblazer. We will reflect on lessons learned from the pandemic and talk about potential aspirations for post-pandemic language teaching. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Florencia. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be one of your guests. We're very happy to have you here. Um, We've got lots to talk about today, but let's get started by talking a little bit about your background and your path with languages and language learning. Sure. Um, So I have a PhD in second language acquisition and teacher education from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Um, I've always been interested in languages, but honestly, when my parents uh, forced me to learn English uh, back in Argentina, where I'm from, when I was around 13, 12, 13, uh, my reaction was, no, I don't need this language. Nobody (laughs) I know speaks this language. I will never use this language. I am not learning English. (laughs) And um, fast forward a few years later, Um, I started watching a lot of uh, sitcoms, uh, and I'm going to date myself here, but uh, The Nanny, Friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So (laughs) I fell in love with American English uh, because in Argentina, the default or the standard, if you want to call it that, is British English. And so I went to a school specifically that taught American English. Um, and I, um, I just, I really liked, you know, music in English and TV shows in English. And that's how I, I started learning English. Um, and then I moved to the United States when I was young and carefree. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I would do it right now, but back then it was, sure, let's go to the U.S. Sounds fun. Uh, and here I am. And I did my, um, I went to a community college in San Diego. I did my undergrad in uh, Cal State San Marcos in North San Diego County. Um, And then I did my master's and PhD here at the University of Illinois. Awesome. So you have been an invaluable resource for many of our colleagues throughout these past crazy months and what feels like years. Um, You created websites to support remote and online language instruction. You've moderated a whole host of groups on social media. You offered countless webinars. You shared tips and tricks through publications. As you look back on this past year or so, 
What are some of the takeaways that will help inform our teaching and our students' learning in the future? Um, so <laughs> I would probably say that some of the things that will inform um, our teaching in the future are things that have always been there, right? Nothing is truly like revolutionary or things mm -hmm. that we never thought about before. I just think we were all thrown into very unique circumstances that forced us to rethink some things, that forced yeah. us to reflect on what worked and what wasn't working and to get out of our comfort zone for sure and to try new things. And some worked and some didn't. <laughs> Some were difficult to replicate, uh, and some actually we discovered new things to enhance uh, mm -hmm. what we were trying to do. So um, what I'm hoping, I guess, overall in the future would be to continue this intentionality that mm -hmm. online teaching implies. When, yeah. you when you develop an online course, there is a lot of intentionality that goes with it. You have to make a lot of decisions, whether it is how the students are going to be assessed, uh, whether you're going to have meetings or not, all of the copyright things, like every little thing in an online course requires a lot of thought and planning. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we'll take some of that with us uh, and that instead of just going back to normal, whatever that is, and going back to how things used to be, that we can start reconsidering, being more creative, being resourceful in how we want to accomplish our goals. It doesn't have to be the same way it used to be. Yeah. Thinking sort of generally with all the instructors who were thrown into having to teach in this new modality rather than the ones who maybe were, were more experienced in it, what are some things that you found generally worked well across the board? Right. Um, I would probably say... <laughs> I need to start with a little clarification here. Um, I think a, a lot of us are under we, we're under different circumstances, right? Sure. And I think for for some instructors, um, they were forced into hybrid, and mm -hmm. that's very different than online. Yeah. And even mm -hmm. what I'm thinking, online teaching is different from remote emergency instruction, right? Yeah, sure, so, absolutely. Uh, I think we need to be clear as to what we're talking about because if if we just say online, what I'm picturing might be very different from what you're picturing, and then you're we're not gonna mm -hmm. be on the same page. Right. And so I think that if if we're talking about just remote instruction where we kept everything the same and all we did was replace the classroom with Zoom, mm -hmm. then I don't think a lot of things worked very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> To me, that was, I totally understand why we had to do it, especially in 2020 when mm -hmm. there was no sure. time to do anything but that uh, and nothing wrong with people who did that. But, um, you know, I, I, I like to think of online instruction as something that was planned a little bit more where maybe some things could have been tweaked mm -hmm. <laughs> and not just replace the classroom with a Zoom meeting. Uh, and so... Some of the things that I think in general online has to offer for language learning would be personalized attention. Um, sometimes we can be creative in how we distribute our time. And so maybe we don't have classes of 20 students all at the same time in Zoom. Maybe we distribute that time differently and maybe we have more time 
to be giving that one-on-one -on -one feedback, comments, just connecting with students more on a one-on-one -on -one level. Um, I think everybody um, at the beginning of, you know, the, the pandemic and going online, especially last summer, everybody was all about how do we build community, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I feel that we made such an effort to connect with our learners that I think that's the beauty of online instruction, right? You, you go that extra step to connect with them. And yeah. I think that's great. Um, I, I think for language learning, um, online is fantastic at allowing students to process things at their own pace. We mm. know that learners do not all move uniformly at the same pace. Um, some learners may need to watch a video again. Some learners may need to slow it down. Some learners may want to try an answer and see if that worked or not, right? I think online allows for all of that, that if you're just in a classroom of 20 students, you kind of have to keep moving, right? Yeah. And some of them fall behind, sadly. Uh, so I think online is good, really good for that. Um, other things, yes, of course, you know, accessing um, authentic resources. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's easier, right? When everybody's already online in front of a computer, it's a lot easier to just send somebody to watch a YouTube video, right, or something like that. I think that it, it makes it easier. Um, and I also think that online allows for more accountability. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is that when I'm in a class with 20 students, I ask a question and maybe, you know, a few raise their hand, volunteer, great. But inevitably, there are some that just stay quiet and don't want to answer. <laughs> and sure. they don't have to because somebody else just did. Uh, when you are online, Every single student has to answer that question, whether it is a quiz and a puzzle video. Every single student is answering and is showing you what they can do. And that's where the individualized instruction comes in. And you are more aware of how everybody is doing that. I think sometimes that gets lost mm -hmm. uh, if we're thinking of a traditional class of 20 students in a classroom. Yeah. So on the flip side, then, what are some aspects of language education that are best done in person based on this experience? Yeah, so I think the most obvious ones, such as, for example, community engagement, right? We have some mm -hmm. courses that do service learning where the students are doing work in the community. Yes, there are ways in which the students can do things virtually, but obviously it's, it is not the same and it is more cumbersome, right? To find those opportunities. Uh, so sure. definitely that, that is one aspect that is best done in person. Um, interaction is probably the answer that everybody thinks about right away. And it is true, interacting in Zoom is possible, mm -hmm. is great, but it's not the same as just turn around and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, there, there's it's, it, there's an ease to yeah. uh, interpersonal communication in person that as good as technology is, it still cannot replicate it 100 sure. percent. Um, it's not impossible. I think we need to that's where we really need to get creative. Right. But definitely probably best done in person. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking about was. Um, writing, writing assignments, especially when instructors want to limit uh, or, or restrict access to outside help. Um, uh, I understand. I understand instructor concerns when they assign a, a writing assignment and, you know, the students are, you know, they might be tempted to use an online translator to just sure. ask somebody else to do it. Uh, I understand how difficult that is, uh, and it is challenging, right? And, and we are aware of all the issues with proctoring services and mm -hmm. platforms. I mean, 
so maybe for something like that, yeah, in person is is better. Yeah. Are there any standout pieces of feedback you've heard from colleagues and students about their experiences with all of this? Yes. Um, I would probably say again, I think it depends a lot on our context and circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, availability of resources is crucial. Some of us have been more fortunate than others in terms of the resources that we could use. Not that just that we could use, but that our students have access to, right? So, and, and, and that makes a huge difference in everyone's experience. I think the type of courses that we teach also matters, right? It's not sure. the same if I'm teaching an upper level course where the students can already say a lot and there's a lot of discussion and it's easier, right, for me to just send them to the breakout rooms and I know that they're going to be talking, right? So I think it does matter a lot on the type of course that you teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this has also led to some students having mixed experiences because it feels like for some courses is going well and it feels like for some courses not so good. <laughs> so the students are also having mixed experiences. Um, what I would probably say is that Overall, what I'm noticing is that everybody is craving normal, whatever (laughs) normal is for each person, right? We are craving normality, something normal. And so my concern with that, as much as I understand it and I feel it, my concern with that is that we go to the other extreme where we are romanticizing in-person instruction as if it were like the best thing in Mm. the world where everybody participated and it Uh was beautiful I think that we are forgetting some of the drawbacks of in-person instruction that, you know, we, we, we cannot just jump and say, oh, let's reject online options. Let's go back to just face-to-face the chalkboard and paper. <laughs> let's just, you know, no more, no more Zoom, no more uh, computers, nothing like that. So I understand we are saturated of Zoom. We are saturated of being in front of a computer for any kind of interaction. Yes, 100%. But... As I say, the chalkboard is not always greener, right? We, we tend to look at the, at the is classroom. Is it though? Is it though? <laughs> is it? <laughs> All of the not, chalkboards in my schooling experience were always green. We're always green. <laughs> we have some green and some black. Sometimes the chalkboard is black, right? Like, just I, I think we need to be careful with thinking that oh, in person everything will be perfect yeah. and great. You still have students who don't want to participate. I've had those where you ask a question and nobody answers, where you ask, hi, how are you? And nobody answers, just mm-hmm. like in Zoom right now. Sure. I've had that in person. Yeah. So I think that sometimes we are too quick to dismiss online simply because we are under these very mm-hmm. weird and sad circumstances in the world that just don't help for us yeah. to be embracing online either. And I, I think that the popular opinion out there in social media, or even when you talk to, to colleagues, is to say how much we miss in-person classes. Everybody's expecting you to say how much you miss mm-hmm. teaching in person. Yeah. And I'm not there. I don't, I mean, I think that is great. Um, in person can be fantastic. I'm having a blast teaching online, but I think that we don't want to be saying openly how much we love teaching online for a number of reasons. One of them, which I think is absolutely valid, is some educators out there are truly struggling and it is not their fault. It's nothing that they're doing wrong. I think they're under very difficult circumstances. And so we don't want them to feel like, well, but Florencia says everything is going great. So I must be doing something wrong that I'm Mm. not having a good time. It's not that. It is not that. So we don't want to make anybody feel 
bad that their experience is not the same as ours. So that's why I think that what you hear more often is we miss in person Mm -hmm. and fewer people truly openly saying I'm loving online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting perspective. Um, Give it another few years and then we look back on all of this. It should be interesting to see if if people turn around and then say, oh, my goodness, remember how awesome it was when we all were stuck at home and we got to teach online? Wear sweatpants um, and <laughs> not commute. I know. I do think, yeah, some people are going to start missing those perks. But now, oh, okay, yeah. so if I can add one more thing in, in all seriousness, right, I think that my fear with with the rejection right of online teaching and learning um is that at least this flat out rejection right where universities schools are simply saying let's go back to normal no more online as in online was a nightmare that we're trying to forget mm-hmm. the problem with that is that we're leaving behind a lot of students that are actually thriving online mm-hmm. and so you know i i i think back on um, spring 2020, where we all had to go online. There, there was absolutely no possibility of in-person. And everybody kept saying, well, we had no choice. We had no choice, right? This is what makes it difficult. We have no choice. Well, if we are now rejecting online and everybody's going back to face-to-face, we're back to no choice. The students don't have a choice mm. to take a class online versus in-person. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that instead of going back to no choices, we explore the possibility of expanding choices in terms of formats for students so they can choose what works best for them. Um, and I, I don't mean hybrid. I think hybrid, high flex, as it is being implemented right now, is difficult on everybody, is difficult on the teachers, and it's difficult on the students. Uh, so that's not the option I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is it would be great if a student could choose that course. Can I take it online? Can I take it in person, right? Like, and they make the choice that works best for them rather than everybody, let's go back full, you know, in person. And there's no more choices that I think that would be sad. It would be a missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in your opinion, what can or should educators do as they start planning for fall? (laughs) <laughs> can we start planning for fall? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't know what it's going to look like, but start planning. Great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I mean, I think anything that I'll say is probably more general simply because we don't know what fall will truly look like. And if we have learned anything is that any of our plans can be changed, sure. uh, yeah. you know, very quickly. Right. So, I don't know how much we want to start planning specifically. Um, I think that a, a few things that probably um, we should think about, like I said, so one is is the thinking outside the box, being more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think is super important is prioritizing goals. Um, I hear a lot of colleagues in, in all levels. I'm just not saying colleagues here in different universities, schools, saying things like, um, it's, it's so bad, we've had to cut back so much, or we cannot cover as much online because, yeah. you know, Zoom is slower, you know, and we have to do less. Mm. 
And I'm always wondering, is that a bad thing? I think sometimes when we cut what we eliminated, perhaps it wasn't crucial to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be a matter of covering more or covering less. Um, I think instead of let's think of goals, like what goals are we accomplishing? And are we perhaps being more efficient in our time and in how we um, approach those goals? Um, And one of the things that um, probably not everybody might agree with me on this, but I think that we need to rethink or reconsider the value of class meetings. Um, And I always ask myself, but even more now, are we making the most of our time together? Mm -hmm. If we're asking the students to come to class for that one hour, in the case Mm -hmm. of college teaching, right? why? Why does everybody have to come during that one hour? Could I be having them do something else? Could could we be doing smaller groups where there's mm-hmm. more intensive discussions as opposed to the 50 minutes and some students are asleep in the back? Like, yeah. I, so I I I would love to see more uh, flexibility and creativity in how the 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 class time is being used. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, probably the, related to that is, is the idea of rethinking student engagement, or at least how we define student mm-hmm. engagement. In language courses, student engagement tends to be equated with talking. The students mm-hmm. are talking, they're engaged. Well, I think now in Zoom, at least, I discovered many other ways that the students are showing me they are engaged, sure. and not necessarily everybody's talking the whole time. And so I'm hoping that we can keep some of that so that we we are not always forcing students to talk or feeling that if students don't talk, then they're not engaged. So we're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. It's just it's not that way. Right. So it's, there's other ways of uh, measuring engagement. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I think this brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. It's all about intentionality. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes. yeah, great. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, what are you trying to accomplish? How are you measuring or or checking for that, Mm -hmm. that you are accomplishing that? And how are you making it happen? And again, yeah, like you said, just intentionally, you have to be very, um, you have to be very reflective as a teacher, Mm -hmm. right? Just keep reflecting on, I am accomplishing that goal. This is working. This is not, you know, if you teach online, you know, you're doing that almost constantly, reevaluating what's working and what's not. And so I'm hoping that um, this will carry on to post-pandemic teaching. Wonderful. So if I may add just one more thing to that, um, it would be to remember um, the impact that life circumstances, and this goes for both the teachers and the students, can have on learning. Mm. Um, I think that we cannot forget that. We've experienced it even more this year, uh, but that's true always. Um, we Our life circumstances will always affect learning. Um, and so I think that at least in terms of the of the educators out there, um, I think it's, it's unfair how much they have felt this pressure to mm-hmm. achieve close to the impossible. Yep. Uh, they were given sometimes very few resources And sometimes they felt like they were backed into a corner where it's like, how do I achieve this? But I cannot do this, this, this or that. And um, 
all that created was a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. a lot of self-doubt uh, that I think will have a long-lasting impact. We are already seeing it, right, in, in how many teachers are leaving the profession. Yeah. But even the ones that are still there, I think they will feel those effects of the self-doubt, that what am I doing wrong, and feeling like it's never good enough, that you're never being able to accomplish that. And it's because sometimes it's impossible what they're asking teachers to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, if we can keep that, not just for fall, but for, for the future, always to remember the well-being of students and teachers, how much that affects learning. Yep, absolutely. Thank you for raising that point. Yes. Well, this has been great. Um, before we sign off, We'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. What is that favorite word? I have a lot of favorite words in many different <laughs> languages. Um, but one uh, one word I love is circumlocution. Mm. And I think is not only it sounds beautiful, I think, <laughs> but... Um, I'm I'm fascinated by what it means, right? It can be something so useful and resourceful for our learners or for anybody who's learning another language or even in our native language when we just can't, our bilingual brains cannot retrieve the (laughs) the word we're looking for. Um, But it's interesting. I find it interesting that I like that word (laughs) because I am a huge fan of being concise and to the point (laughs) and direct. And circumlocution is the opposite of that. Isn't it fascinating that I like that word? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Florencia, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for, for having me. It was a great, great discussion. Great. With this episode, our seventh season of Speaking of Language comes to an end. We will be back in September with new topics and guests. In the meantime, you can listen to our archived shows on our website at lrc.cornell.edu, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We wish all our listeners a wonderful, safe, and healthy summer. Until fall. Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.